Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we are joined by Keith Nelson, and he is the published author of Missed Ops and the founder of Dual City Investments, a successful investment real estate business specializing in commercial real estate and specialty asset classes, focusing on long-term wealth building. He has a diverse background and expertise in investment real estate, entrepreneurship, education, and federal law enforcement. So Keith, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome. And how are you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you for having me, Eileen. Absolutely. So Keith, let's start off if you can share with our audience a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate. Well, I don't want to share too much about my background because we may be here for several hours. <laughs> like my bio that you just read says, I have a pretty diverse background. I guess the concept of dual city started in New York when I was on a special task force. I was with the DEA and my partners with the FBI. And that's kind of where we started kicking the idea around about you know investing in real estate. So it's been in motion for many, many years, but yeah, I started in law enforcement. Then I moved to the Southeast, became a teacher for a couple of years before moving into real estate full-time. When you were back in New York and you were talking with your colleague about investing in real estate, did you actually start investing at that time or was it later on after that? No, we did not. It was actually several years after. Interesting story. I'll keep it short, but me and my partner, we were on surveillance in a pretty affluent neighborhood in upstate New York. And, you know, we're looking around, I think we were in the car for, I don't know, 28, 30 hours in a row. And, you know, we started looking at these houses and started wondering like, wow, what are all these people doing that, you know, what did they do right that we did wrong, you know? So that's kind of where the idea was born living off of, you know, pizza and Gatorade for, for two <laughs> or three days and out of a car but it took us several years to actually purchase our first property. And, you know, we looked in New York and, you know, all the major metropolitan areas. And even then, which was probably around, I don't know, 2012-ish, you just cap rates were so tight and, you know, the big areas, the big MSAs. It wasn't until I moved down south that we discovered, you know, that there were still assets that had positive cash flow. So we started looking, you know, in the southeast, running into you know, roadblock after roadblock dealing with brokers or not dealing with brokers, you know, them being unresponsive, you know, all that. That's what actually pushed me full time into real estate because we did buy a property after looking for two years. I actually had a residential real estate broker actually help me get our first commercial asset, which was, I think, 15 units of multifamily. And, you know, I decided at that time, I said, you know what, I have to dive into this full time and find out how these brokers are, you know, sourcing these properties. So that's what I did. I left my teaching job and went into commercial real estate brokerage to find out all the tricks of the trade. And you mentioned we, was it you and your partner when you were working in law enforcement that were continuing to look together for several years after that? Yeah. So he was the other founder at that time of Dual City. 
And what happened was, you know, our friends and family and associates, you know, they had, they were making decent salaries in New York and we were looking at properties in the Southeast. So it became, that's kind of how our syndication business kind of grew. Like I looked, I found the properties and he, you know, sourced the capital and that's how we started. Got it. So was your first property within real estate, was it that 15 unit multifamily or did you had done some single family before that as well? No, we jumped right into the multifamily units. We did look at some single stuff first, but quickly realized, you know, economies of scale and it was just the same amount of work for, you know, a more scalable approach, I guess you could say. So So when you took down that 15 units, was it just between the two of you or you had also brought in capital? And what was the biggest challenge that you had to face for that first property? Well, like I said, the biggest challenge was getting in with brokers that had deals or them even responding or taking us seriously. Looking back, I could understand, you know, being in the brokerage business myself, I may have done similar things, you know, not taking somebody seriously or, you know, their first time buyer. But yeah, I mean, that was the biggest hurdle. And to answer the first part of the question, no, we went into a partnership. I think there was, you know, five or so partners in that first deal. But again, I didn't know anything about syndication. I didn't know anything about how to structure deals. So it was, you know, five people went in and chipped in, and that was, kind of the the learning experience. After that first 15 units, you had experienced some success. And after that, I don't remember the timeline. Did you had left your teaching career to do it full-time or did you purchase a couple of other properties before you ended up going into real estate full-time? No. So after the first one, it took us two years to actually pull the trigger on the first one. I needed to know how to source deals myself. So I left my full-time teaching job and just got my real estate license, became a commercial realtor and you know, try to figure it out then. That's actually when I met our third partner in Dual City, Joey Wynell. And you know, he me and him worked closely here in the Southeast. Well, Mike still sourced capital up north. And you know, we put together our own systems after quickly realizing that there really were no secrets on how to source <laughs> source deals. So we built our own team and that eventually turned into our own brokerage and um, financing company. So got it. So when you say that there was no secrets to sourcing the deals, did you guys do anything different to be able to find, you know, the properties and set yourselves apart from the other brokers or the other investors in that area or within the industry? As a broker, no. You know, we just hammered the phones and you know did the networking events and all that to find the deals. As far as the investment company, I think we did do things from the beginning very differently. Our approach to dual city investments was to bring real estate investment to you know the common person, right? So my friends, my family, teachers, law enforcement, blue collar workers, non accredited investors. So our first syndications were open to non-accredited as well as accredited investors to start off. So I wanted, you know, the high-level investment strategies to just regular common everyday everyday people. And we still kind of go by that guideline today. You know, we want to make real estate investment accessible to everyone. So then after that 15 units and then you had become a commercial realtor yourself and started figuring out how to source some more deals, you found some more partnerships. After that, did you continue to invest in the multifamily space and just continue to grow it out? And what did you do afterwards? When we started in multifamily, that asset got flooded very quickly. So 
I think about 2018, we were just uncomfortable with most of the multifamily deals. I mean, we still did, you know, one every here and there, but you know, big investment firms, more syndication groups were coming out of, you know, everywhere, all these gurus, experts, everyone started diving into multifamily and, you know, that compressed the cap rates to where we weren't comfortable. So we started diversifying into other asset classes and building, you know, other teams, we self-storage, we went to, and then that kind of followed the same path as multifamily. But in our fund now, we are completely diversified. We have everything from a boutique hotel to class A office to uh, mobile home parks. So surrounding ourselves with the right expert and the right advisors for those asset classes kind of softened the learning curve, a lot of it. So yeah, we look at every opportunity and you know we'll examine every deal closely and only the ones that fit our conservative criteria, are the ones that make it into our current fund. How is your view of real estate now and how you approach investing and looking at the different opportunities that you present to your investors and the opportunities that you have available. How do you look at that now? And has that strategy changed over time? And especially in this current market that's going on right now, where there's some volatility going on, interest rates are going up. Has your strategy changed at all? Our strategy changes probably quarterly. We're constantly pivoting and tweaking and trying to get better or trying to find you know any value add on a deal. So the answer to your question is yes, it has. We haven't seen so much volatility on the asset classes themselves, financing side of things, you know, absolutely. But we're kind of built to weather those changes. We came from a very creative approach of of doing deals and are getting institutional financing on a lot of our deals. We're still Take that, you know, creative approach. I actually just came from a closing today. We closed on a uh, single home portfolio of apartments, mobile homes, single family homes, rentals, and we ended up getting a first mortgage from the owner, you know, owner financing on it. So for the next three years, so pretty decent sized deal, which is going into our fund and it's going to, you know, crank our returns up. So yeah, we're changing costs. We're always looking for, you know, different angles, different approaches to first and foremost, protect our investor capital and our own capital as well. Are you and your company looking at the interest rates rising now? And what are you doing to you know hedge against that or prepare yourself in terms of your underwriting and looking at deal flows and maybe like some creative financing? Or what are some of the things that you're looking to hedge against that increasing in interest rates? I mean, interest rates are definitely going up. We have seen a little bit of movement in cap rates just Within the last, I'd say, six weeks, I've seen a little more deal flow than I have in maybe the last two years. So there's a section of owners, you know, they do realize that and maybe they're getting out sooner than they think the rates are going to continue to rise. But if we're comfortable with the deal, we run an evergreen fund, which means there's no close to it. So we're comfortable buying through any market cycle. And while I think we're at the top of the cycle now, we're set up to go through a downturn and pick up some deals that may have higher cap rates and higher cash flow. So our strategy is consistent as far as let's get some conservative assets in there, but you know, we're continuing to buy and I'm almost looking forward to a shakeup in the market because I think it's just been at a 45 degree climb in the last three years. You know, I think a lot of the you know pretender groups that are out there that are just constantly buying to, you know, pad their own 
their own pockets as far as acquisition fees and all that. I think a lot of those people are going to be left, you know, having to get rid of their properties at a discount and hopefully we're there to take advantage of it. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. You mentioned your fund is an evergreen fund. It's open-ended. There's no like end date and people come in and go throughout the life cycles of the investments. How does that typically work for an investor if they're looking to, you know, invest for a certain time period, like, or is their money like locked up in the fund throughout the, for a certain period of time before they're able to a lot of it? How does that typically work in an open-ended fund like that? Typically, I mean, there's thousands of, you know, structures and rules and guidelines that managers will put up. Ours is the dual city advantage fund is set up like a really, it's a 90, 10 split. There's no pref, but investors can come and go. And while we're not publicly traded, there's no secondary market for it. So we've actually positioned ourselves. We have several assets that we have no debt on, that we have lines of credit that we can pull to you know, exit investors if they want their capital back. And there's also guidelines if you know, an investor wants their capital back and let's say the lines are maxed out for some reason, you know, we can't purchase any more assets before we get them out. So you know, it's not completely liquid if everyone decided they wanted their money out tomorrow, but there's no time frame. So, you know, if there's a family emergency or they want to buy a lake house or whatever, they could just put in a request to get X amount of dollars back out. So with the fund, because it's so diversified, you have, you know, you mentioned mobile home parks, boutique hotels and everything like that within that fund as well. Are investors able to pick and choose what they want to be in? Or is it, if you're in the fund, you're going to be diversified. It's going to be across all the different asset classes within that fund. Yeah. Typically with a fund, if you're in, you own a percentage of everything that's in there. So our concept of that, we had another fund that we closed out in the beginning of this year. We started this one. That was a closed fund. And that was also very diversified. And throughout COVID, when everyone was kind of panicking, like, oh, what's going to happen to real estate? Since we were so diversified, we didn't skip one payment to investors. You know, it was cash flowing the whole time. And what happened was actually we thought the opposite was going to happen. We had a hotel that we thought was going to hurt really bad. And our multifamily, we thought can, you know, sustain us through it. And just the opposite happened. Once people found out that they didn't have to, you know, pay their rent because of the moratoriums they they put on, they stopped paying. And I guess people didn't want to fly and you know travel or couldn't so they you know took road trips to our hotel so that actually bumped up our cash flow and covered you know the payments that we weren't receiving on the multifamily so you know that's the same strategy here you know if we enter a recession that you know a lot of economists are predicting you know we've gotten into industrial we have some industrial assets in there that we think are going to fare pretty well 
you know, and again, some of our multifamily stuff that we just picked up, we think can fare, fare pretty well through that as well. So same approach, totally diversified and, you know, just trying to isolate ourselves from any big swings. During COVID, you mentioned that there's a lot of you know, investors, but everybody was hesitant and there was a lot of unknowns that were going to happen. There was a lot of turmoil and some questions that people had that you couldn't answer. How do you think that the investor sentiment looks like today? And are they continuing to be positive about, continue to have a positive outlook within real estate? Is there still some more of that hesitancy going into it? What are you typically seeing now? So a great question on the, during the COVID, we were actually ready to launch our second fund. And in 2020, I think maybe January or right before COVID, I forget what, well, I think March is when it really, really hit. Uh, you know, we were out there getting soft commitments for capital and then it was a close ended fund. And we were like, shoot, what is this COVID going to do? Like, I don't want to lock up my capital for the next five years and investors, like you just mentioned, they were like, no, I can't commit to time period. So that's kind of where we started examining the whole premise of this, the evergreen. And that's ultimately what we ended on. And we like it. And they feel a sense of security of, you know what, if, if I get a bad feeling or if I don't like what you purchase, then I'll request my funds out. So yeah, thank you for asking. That's how this Advantage Fund kind of came to fruition was through that sediment of COVID. As far as now, I think our investors, um, we have such a great track record with them. Like they hundred percent confident, you know, and we're able to do. So I don't have any problem with the current investors we have as far as garnering new investors. Yeah. They ask the hard questions like, you know, what happens if you know recession hits? But as I mentioned before, I think our diversity is a level of protection. I think they have a level of comfort being able to withdraw their funds. And, you know, as long as we're confident in the assets we're buying and we don't have to keep doing deals. So one thing I mentioned earlier that uh, we started our own brokerage and you know financing arm, that gives us a lot of leeway where we're not forced to buy deals to keep our lights on. You know, We have a full brokerage house downstairs. Like We keep the lights on without forcing one other deal into our fund. So I'm fortunate for that. Those other divisions kind of pay the expenses and we can be cautionary and you know, hopefully we just keep gaining more investors' trust and keep growing our investor base. But yeah, I mean, everyone has the same concerns about recession and all that. But really, I think the more volatile the stock market gets and, and all that, it, it may chase more capital towards real estate, to be honest. So you talked a lot about you know some of the diversity that you have within the funds and your positive outlook on you know creating a diverse fund for the investors. Is there any asset class that you typically look at that you are not as don't have a positive outlook on and you maybe prefer not to get involved in that type? Yeah. Uh, it's probably going to go against the grain of a lot of your listeners, but multifamily, we're not really looking at as far as apartments. There's just so much competition and capital being poured into them. You know, even in our area, you know, tertiary markets, we're seeing multifamily trade at, you know, sub five caps. You know, three years ago, you could buy a Starbucks with a 20 year lease at a, <laughs> at a five cap. And now people are buying C class multifamily, you know, with all the work that has to be done to it at these ridiculously low cap rates. So if I had to pick one, I'd probably say that right now, you know, and look, I could be wrong. I was wrong in 2018 when the multifamily still kept going up. But, you know, if we do hit a recession, even if it's a soft one, 
you know, I don't think you could keep pumping rents like everyone's been used to doing. Thank you for sharing. And so for you, Keith, it's what are you most excited about coming up? And is there anything that you're focused on, you know, the upcoming future? In real estate? Yeah. I mean, I'm bullish on industrial right now. We're looking at a couple, let's say, uh, you know, spec builds, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, we're looking at a lot of the industrial market and we, a lot of reports have come out, this build back better bill. One of our industrial team went to a conference recently and like within the Southeast, they're anticipating needing over 5 million square feet of industrial space within the next like five or six years. So that's a tremendous need, especially if they're bringing back, you know, manufacturing from overseas. I'm pretty bullish on that. And we have a pretty big focus on that right now. And I wanted to kind of go back a little bit really quick to the diversity of the asset classes that your fund is in. So you're diversified across different asset classes. Do you also diversify across different markets as well? Or is there a particular market that you like to stay in that you're focused on? Great question. Again, the answer is we look at any market that you know has some sort of growth engine to it, You know, whether it's a college or manufacturing or whatever, we'll, we'll look at any place that's growing, not shrinking. We primarily focus in the Southeast, but we have assets in Ohio and New York right now too. So, you know, it depends on the deal and then we'll work backwards and kind of do research in the market. And Keith, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Really filled a big, I guess, hole. I mean, I didn't mean get into half of my background, but, you know, from an author to a teacher to uh, law enforcement, now into real estate, I was kind of always seeking something that wasn't the same every day. Right. And, you know, even being a special agent was kind of monotonous, but real estate, every time I come into the office, it's completely different. You know, whether I'm hit with, you know, an issue to solve or an opportunity, you just, you know, me and my partners, we sit down and you know, brainstorm probably an hour and a half every day. And I love it. How does your life look a little bit now in terms of, you know, because I remember when you're talking and you're giving a little bit about your background and looking at the real estate with your partner, you were doing the stakeout for like the 24, 36 hours. And you're looking at the large homes that people were in in the affluent neighborhood. And you're looking at how people were able to accumulate their wealth to be able to afford those types of houses. How is your view back then, has it changed at all after you've done real estate, you've done a lot of transaction, you've seen a lot of success in this area? Has your view of investments and how people build wealth, has that changed over time now? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'd say 180 degree <laughs> pivot. You know, I was wrote a book, as you mentioned, Missed Ops. And one of the chapters, you know, I, I mentioned your parents are only teaching you what they know. Right. So I came from a background of teachers and law enforcement and blue collar workers. So when I was growing up, it was always, okay, well, go to college, get a good job, you know, buy a house in suburbia and live your life. And that was it. And when I got there, I was like, yeah, I don't feel fulfilled, you know? So I don't blame my parents. It's only they were taught that from their parents and so on and so forth. So, you know, I just started doing copious amounts of research and, reading books, uh, rich dad, poor dad, you know, was a big influence and just how, you know, wealthy people look at money, you know, they don't look at saving money, they look at investing money. So that spurred yeah, a whole big change. So now I try to teach my son, you know, Hey, you need to invest before you save, before you spend, you need to invest first. 
And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Oh boy, just one thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one thing I know now. All right, well, my very first lesson was don't take people's word or even if something in writing, do your own due diligence and then have someone else do it that you're working with. Because you know what's presented as an ideal is oftentimes not reality. Sound advice. <laughs> And if there's one thing that the successful people apart or sets the successful people apart in real estate investing, what would that be? I think it's multiple things. You know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if the real estate market does take a dip, I think it's going to separate the people that are riding a wave versus the people that know how to swim. And you know, it's just the people that go about things the right way. I was taught, I've taken syndication classes and, you know, the, went to all the conferences, all the events, listened to all these people. And the majority of them tell you, oh, no, you need to make sure you're getting paid first. And then whatever's left is what goes to the investor and, you know, all that. And we've kind of been the opposite the whole time. We've always put the investor at the forefront and then worked backwards and said, well, if there's something left, then that's what we eat off of. And, I think that's the biggest lesson or you know that I can tell people is if you do things the right way and you protect investor capital at the forefront I think everything will fall into place but if you're trying to you know get out there and make a lot of money real quick and you know cut corners those are the people that are going to be exposed when there is a shift in the market. Awesome. Well, Keith, thank you so much for sharing all of that today. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing a little bit about your journey and a little bit about your past. I know there was so much that we didn't get into, but I appreciate you coming on and giving us a little bit of insight into what you've been able to do within real estate and your background. So yeah, thank you. You're a great interviewer. I mean. <laughs> thank you. So for our listeners out there also who want to find out a little bit more about what you're doing, follow you, where's the best place that they can go to find out more or reach out? Just our website at dualcityinvestments.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Keith. All right. Thanks, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.